Greetings, and welcome to the 125th episode of Tell the Damn Story. Alex Simmons here. Um, we apologize, Chris and I, for the delay in uploading this episode. We missed it by a day. But that was because a friend and fellow professional in the comic book industry passed away a few days ago. And we wanted to take this episode as an opportunity to say goodbye to him and to offer a tribute, if you will, to a man who spent over 50 years in this industry, making it fun, entertaining, and an education for both professionals and fans alike. So, without further ado, as the phrase goes, here's episode 125, a tribute to Victor Gorlick. P.S. Please forgive the volume adjustments throughout the episode. The interview with Victor was done some five years ago under challenging circumstances, but I hope you enjoy it nonetheless. Hey, Alex Simmons, are you there? It's Chris Ryan. Good to see you on yet another episode of Tell the Damn Story. What number episode is this? This is 125, 125. 125, And 125 is going to be, um, I believe, kind of special, a little different. Um, but we are going to start with some great news yep. about uh, a friend of yours and a guy I'm a big fan of. I met him a couple of times. Um, and who is that person? That person would be my old buddy from many, many moons ago, Jerry... Craft. Uh, what, does, what does Jerry Craft do for a living? How should we know Jerry Craft? Well, for those of you who've known of Jerry Craft for many moons, like I have, Jerry Craft is an illustrator of a series that he created, a comic strip series called Mama's Boys, independent publisher of the of same number of books that he's done. But he's also done illustrations for um, uh, like Chicken Soup of the Soul and that sort of thing. He's also illustrated some other children's books. Uh, but in the uh, some odd years that I've known him, Jerry has always worked on things that were close to his heart, or at least he felt good about, but held one little story off to the side until finally uh, publisher HarperCollins gave him an opportunity to do a graphic novel based on a personal story of his life. And that story got published and is now, Mr. Ryan. Well, according to the New York Times, it is history making. Uh, the, the name of the book is New Kid, and uh, the Times writes, the writer and illustrator Jerry Craft won this year's John Newbery Medal for New Kid, and it is the first graphic novel to receive the prize for the most outstanding contribution to children's literature. That's there you fantastic. Go. There you go, Jerry. And believe me, he earned every bit of it. Every bit yeah. of it. You know... Yeah. He was working on that for a while, and he was promoting it and doing the, I mean, the, 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 the work. He's really, I mean, you would see him week after week. You'd be at this appearance and that appearance, and that's a kind of a really important thing about, you know, telling the damn story is just the first step. That's you right. Have to get it out into the world, and usually it's the creators who have to keep pushing the rock up the hill until, you know, the sun gets on it. And it's really, 
right? And it's really fantastic that uh, Jerry got this award. He well-deserved, very hardworking guy, nice guy. So, yeah, well, he's not all that nice, but no. Oh, really nice. wow, there you go. No, uh, no, really. The few times I met him, he was always very nice. But, he's he's um, a really sweet guy, really sweet guy. And I think it also speaks to something you and I have talked about on the show, about believing in, in the stories you want to tell, really, you know, especially the ones you hold close to your heart. Jerry's held this story for years, and finally having the opportunity, he said, yes, I will do it, and he went forth, and he told that story, and yeah. he told it so well that here is one of the one of the honors that he's received, which, you know, again, well-earned. Thank you, Jerry. Yeah, Thank cool. you. That's beautiful. So congratulations to Jerry, and that's our good news. And, um, you know, so goes the yin and yang of life with some good news. Sometimes we also get some bad news. Mm. And, um, Alex, uh, you received some bad news this week. So yeah. uh, why don't we talk about it a little bit? Yeah, well, um, it's the bad news uh, that I received is also the bad news that a number of people in the comic industry received, uh, especially those who know uh, Archie. Um, the the company uh, and the and the work is that Victor Gorlick, who quite possibly was the oldest working editor in comics, um, passed away. Yeah, uh, uh, I think it was 50 years with Archie Comics as an editor. Uh, I may be off by a few because Victor just he was to me he was very much the heart of that company. And he could go back. I mean, you could sit at his desk. I had the, the joy and the privilege of calling him my editor and my friend. Uh, but you could sit at his desk any day of the week and ask him a question about a story that, that Archie did back in the 60s or you know, the, the 50s even. And he would, he would know the artists. He would know behind-the-scenes stuff. He could just pull it, you know. And he had such a rich experience of the industry, but I feel from a positive way. I mean, you know, he had ups and downs, obviously, but there was always some sort of joy or dry wit in what he was sharing. There was always mm -hmm. some lesson about creativity, about humor, about your audience, you know. Um, and 99% and of the times that I ever spoke to, to Victor, even on an editorial issue, his critiques or his, his, his questions, they always seemed to come from the heart. You know, yep. there was never a sense of him manipulating you or him coming with 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 some sort of mandate that made you feel less than an artist just trying to, you know, complete the task, do the job, yeah. you know, tell the I, story. I only had one or two um, uh, interviews with him in both, you know, I professional but very I uh, didn't know who the hell I was a friend of Alex's wasn't enough for him uh, I had written a four part for Archie that uh, kind of gets swept up in some of the drama that was going on a couple of years ago um, and he was the one who said uh, send it again you know because I had gotten paid and I just wanted them to get their money's worth and uh, sight unseen you know he said well have faith in it. you know he had faith in it send it again and um, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, but yeah. that's my whole history with Victor. However, you had, you interviewed Victor. And, it, it, you know, you brought it up uh, pre-show. And I think it's, I agree with you 100%. I think at, uh, we'll suspend 
uh, get you right on and the other stuff we usually do this week. And uh, I think sharing that interview uh, is a fitting tribute uh, to the man you knew and uh, letting him, you know, relate how he told a damn story for all those years, I think is of interest. And I think uh, the audience that we have, you know, they're a writing audience, they're a comic book audience, they're a creative audience. To hear your interview, the guy who was in and uh, instrumental in uh, telling the stories of one of the cornerstones of American culture, you know, I mean, love him or hate him, you know him. You know Archie, you know <laughs> Jughead, you know Veronica and Betty and Reggie and Moose. I mean, we it the the saturation level of those characters probably rivals Batman and Superman and Spider-Man, you know, and stuff like that. Um, you know, Sherlock Holmes, all those uh, characters that, whether we're book nerds or not, we wind up carrying around with us, you know? And, and, and there's also, I mean, you're absolutely right, and there's also the reality of a man who came into the industry in let's just say it's gentler times, uh, mm -hmm. more standardized times, and was able to acclimate as the generation shifted, perspective shifted. You know, he was still able to stay with it and yeah. stay with the the love of of the characters and and a sense of responsibility to the audience, whoever the audience was in that decade. And again, mm -hmm. right up to. You know, just a, a matter of a few months ago, I mean, the man was still a part of it. Yeah. And so I I just, you know, I think honoring that kind of dedication and, and love and appreciation for the work. Um, also, and humanizing him even a bit more for people who never met him, because yeah. I do ask him in the interview, we start out with, you know, where'd you come from? You know, where were you born? What was life like? So, you know, we got to remember that, too, that some of the people that we consider mentors or icons or celebrities or whatever they, you know, they had a life. They, yeah. they grew up, you know, they came well, from some. And the, the other side of that, is, as weird as it sounds, um, when we're coming up, when we're growing up and we're taking in all these stories, oddly, very often, we don't think of uh, the writers and the artists and the creators and the you know, television people and all that stuff as, as living, breathing human beings, you know, that, uh, uh, <laughs> that have those, you, I remember I was about 15 and I was crazy enough to request an interview uh, of uh, Stan Lee and they said, yes. And it was, You're going you know, to interview that, him. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For, ah. for the, for the high school magazine, uh, high school newspaper world, magazine. And uh, she, uh, the secretary who answered, uh, said, well, you know, he's very busy. I don't know if we can fit you in this week. When's your deadline? And my deadline was like three months from then. And she started laughing and said, I think we can fit you in. So she actually gave me a date and I called and he got on the phone. And, and, and you know, it was exactly how you hear him. But that was the first time that I realized that people, real people, work telling stories and they accept that as their life. I mean, we see police officers and, and, and firefighters and we see the guy from uh, the, uh, the Con Ed or PSNG or whatever energy company have come in and, you know, help something or fix the lights, uh, street lights. And we accept that for them, 
that's their reality and that's their life. And somehow it doesn't always connect to us that people are just accepting of the idea of I'm going to write and create and imagine for my, you know, rent money and for my, you know, to buy bread and eggs and milk. And I think that's a big step for um, aspiring creatives to accept that, oh, oh, I can do this too. Yeah. Like, you know, it's not, it's not that some, you know, you, you'll pull a sword from the stone or someone comes in, you know, you shall be a creative and, and there you go. Here's the secret door. You know, it's, I, you, you kind of accept that I, that's where my love is and that's where my passion is and I'm going to figure out how to get there. And here's a person who figured out how to get there and how to keep there and stay there and be productive there for six decades. And I and, think and one, for helping others do and exactly. And to turn around and help others. Yeah. Yes, yes, definitely. And I, I just think that one, it's a fitting tribute to him, but it's also a, a way to honor those, you know, who, who listen to this podcast to say, listen, here's a guy worth hearing. And I'm going to step back from my weekly uh, nonsense and uh, I'm more than willing to uh, give the stage to Victor and let him tell the damn story. And so that's what we'll do. So thank you, uh, folks. Sit back, get your cup of tea, coffee, whatever it is, you know, and uh, listen to some life and some history. As I interview, oh, God, several years back, I interview Victor Gorlick. And Victor, thank you. All right, we'll be back with our usual stuff next week. Uh, God bless Victor, and peace to all of you. Got it. Okay, uh, I have wanted to do this for a long time, is to have a good sit down with a man I've worked with and known through his work, and then having the opportunity to work with him for several years, uh, Mr. Victor Gorlick, who is, Victor, what is your title here at this company we haven't mentioned yet? Co-president, editor-in-chief. He is the co-president, editor-in-chief of Archie Comics. Uh, and this man has actually been making Archie Comics almost as long as I've been alive. So uh, aside from his experience with, with Archie and all of that, we're going to talk to him today about just comics and art and a number of things that he's full of wisdom on. So, Victor, thank you for taking the time to do this. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. And by the way, we're, we're in the new offices, right? Mm -hmm. New offices in Pelham, New York. Yeah, lovely, lovely. Here since May 1st. Spacious and everything, yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> you look out the window, you see birds and grass and trees. Yes, that's right. Birds eating grass and trees, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, Victor, uh, I want to I sort of start uh, a little further back than you might expect, but I like to get a sense of the person uh, as well as, you know, the work that that person has done. So um, where are you from originally? Brooklyn, New York. Born and raised in Brooklyn. Born and raised in Brooklyn, Brownville section. Wow. Uh, what era are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, they didn't have any horses and carriages. <laughs> no Victorian. Actually, hat. they did. They did have horses with wagons coming around selling things. Right. Did they have the the uh, the buses with the cables? Uh, trolleys. Yeah, the trolleys. Yes, they did. Yeah, because I remember those. I actually I used to take the trolley every so often. There was a trolley depot right near my grandmother's house. Wow. I used wow. to go there. 
And what was it like in Brooklyn at that time? What was it like growing up at that, that, that well, point? Well, it was, I remember it being hot in the summer and cold in the winter because <laughs> there were no air conditioners and we lived on the top floor of a nine-story, uh, nine-apartment uh, building. So it was right like what, the fourth the floor or something like that? We were that. on the third floor, yeah. right under the roof. And uh, in the summertime, it was very hot. Oh, man. And in the winter, my father was banging on the pipes to have the landlord send up some meat. <laughs> it was a coal-heated building. Wow, wow. Cold. Oh, cold. so you had the coal trucks and the all that. The coal trucks would come up, and they would put the slide on the side of the truck and send the coal into the basement. Oh, my goodness. As a kid, we used to play in that coal, you know? Really? In fact, I used to look a little bit like you for a while. <laughs> Victor can say that because I love him. It's, it's all good. It's all good. Now, and actually, um, I do remember coal trucks. And I, yeah. uh, I, was, I was in Harlem, uh, and the building we lived in uh, used to have that. The guy would come and you know, big, thick gloves and all of that. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, we used, to play, we used to all play out on the streets a lot. You didn't have to be afraid to let your children out. Mm. If you were a parent. You'd play outside in the streets all day, play games on the sidewalk, scully with bottle tops. Is that like um, uh, marbles or something like that? Well, so, sort of like marbles. You would draw this whole big uh, game board on the sidewalk, you know, and you'd have to do, go through certain um, patterns and things. Patterns, yeah, yeah, wow. And then uh, stickball and punchball. I wasn't very good at sports. You can't do. You can't be good at good everything. At yeah. And, uh, I was always upstairs in my room drawing pictures. So even as a kid, as you... a kid, I was always drawing a lot. Yeah, I always used to used to draw little stick figures. I used to make thousands and thousands of men fighting with thousands. Of thousands of men. <laughs> How could they tell each other apart? They're all stick figures. Yeah, yeah well, you know. Yeah. You had it worked out. Hats. Yeah. Oh, there you go. That would do it. That's, attack those men with hats. Yeah. Um, so, so did that make you, the fact that you drew and, and were creative on that level, did that make you a part of your friends or did they sort of think of you as a little weird or was that cool? Well, or? well I was, I wasn't um, ostracized by my friends, but they were always calling me to come out and play and I always, I knew I wasn't very good at it, so always tried to avoid it, uh -huh. but I did, I did my share of punch ball and stick ball, and one time, <laughs> the, one of the, one of the uh, kids on the block was sort of a bully, mm. he said to me, if you don't start running fast, I'm going to take your shoes and throw them down the sewer. <laughs> oh, a little inspirational, a little Newt Rockney there, yeah, right? Yeah, you many know. Many times the balls went down the sewer and we had to get them. Into the sewer? Into the sewer, yeah. One time, you know, when you made a stickball stick, you would take a, an old broomstick, mm -hmm. but you had to break off the end. Oh, well, the part where the broom was? Yeah. Yeah. So you put that in, the, in one of those um, covers in the middle of the sewer. In the grate, yeah, the sewer, uh, right. The it, sewer wasn't, it wasn't really a sewer, it was like a, uh, an opening for the public works to go down. Oh, oh, yeah, right, right. But anyway, so they break it off, and one time the stick fell down there. Well, they didn't take me, but we took one of our friends and held him by his feet <laughs> and hung him over into the, <laughs> into the hole there to get it, you know. Yeah, and, um, yeah it, was, it, was, it was fun, you know. I used to walk to school. Yes, 156, that's where I went to. Wow. 
Uh, is that, that elementary or middle school? Elementary, or elementary school. school. I went there. Uh, it was about three blocks. And I just used to walk. Well, when I was really small, my mother used to. Well, of course. Me. I still remember some of the fact that I had a very good friend. We wound up being friends because we our, our names were very close, our last names. So alphabetically, we were like next to each other in line. My name was Garlic, and his name was Garaway. We were, and we wound up in a couple of classes together. But after the second grade, they split us up because we were always fooling around in class. <laughs> you have any idea what happened to him? Yes, well, we remained friends for very all our lives. Excellent. In fact, we both went to. Uh, School of Industrial Art, which is now Art and Design. Which yeah. I'm a graduate of. Yeah, we went there together. I used to meet him every morning by the subway, you know, on Saratoga Avenue in Liberal. And uh, we would uh, take the train into the city. Um, unfortunately, a few years ago, in fact, uh, the 21st of this month would, would have been his birthday. Oh. He passed away. He was terrible. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, we had some good memories. So, so here you are. You're growing up in, in it sounds like a, a really, you know, good and 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 um, adventurous in your own way. You know, hanging people down sewers, uh, childhood. Yeah, well, we got a bicycle. We used to take some bicycle trips here or there. Yeah, the, the, just you and, the, and other friends, just yeah, biking. So you yeah. could bike around the neighborhood and everything. Not just the neighborhood. We, I used to go all the way over to where my into East New York. You know, all the way down Linden Boulevard. You know. So take little bike trips like that. Did you did you work? Did you have a job? You know, once you reach a certain age, you know, as yeah, a, as always, still as a kid. I, I mean, always yeah. worked. In fact, the first job that I had on Saturday, every Saturday in the in the movie theater that I used to go, it was called the Ambassador Theater mm -hmm. on Saratoga Avenue. And the manager liked me, so he said, "Listen, if you come in here every Saturday." I need somebody to stay by the side exits so the kids don't start <laughs> busting out the doors. Oh, God. Okay. Because after the kiddie show, which was like a Three Stooges movie, a uh, talking mule story, Francis the Talking Mule, <laughs> oh, yeah, right. you know, cowboy picture, 25 cartoons. And after all that, it was around 12 o'clock or around 1, 2 o'clock, and they'd start showing the adult shows, and they wanted to get all the kids out. Mm-hmm. So I'd have to make sure that if they busted out the door, I closed it right away. For that, he would give me passes and let me come into the movie for nothing. So the pa and then he would give me posters to put at different stores. During the summer, when I was off from school, I'd walk around to the different, yes, and if they would allow me to put the uh, poster up for the theaters, advertising what was playing mm -hmm. in those neighborhood theaters. And they would, I would give them a couple of passes for the movie if they would allow. So but I was only like 12 years old, 13 years old. Wow. But there you were earning your way into entertainment. Well, yeah. And let me tell you something. I really blew it because... Uh-oh. <clears throat> I did become an usher in that same movie theater later on. But under the steps in the, of the stage, they used to keep all the movie posters. And they used to get like a half a dozen, dozen movie posters for the, this was back in the 50s. And those posters are probably worth thousands and thousands of dollars. You just throw them out at the end. If I would have kept a, a few oh, of them, geez. 
I probably wouldn't even be sitting here. <laughs> I'd be retired. He'd be on a boat somewhere. Yeah. Wow. I mean, great posters, but listen, even when I was a kid at home, I was, I was always doing, I had to do something. My father worked, worked in a fish store, cleaned and sold fish. Mm-hmm. He had had his own store for a while. I, he always worked for something. Every Friday, I used to cl- have to clean all the shoes in there. One pair of shoes that he used to clean with his shoes because they were all covered with sawdust and fish scales. And I had to clean those shoes, you know, the best I could, you know. And I did. His shoes, my shoes. My mother's had shoes once in a while. Once in a while. Did you have siblings? Well, yeah, I have a sister. She was born... When I graduated from high school, practically, oh, okay. she, my mother came, had to come home from the hospital the day that I took my graduation pictures oh, from school, from industrial art. So I came off the train. My father was working. And we didn't have a car. Right. So I, she was born in Bethel Hospital, which is now Brookdale Hospital. Okay. That's where I was born, too. And I met my friend, Bert. He was also he grew up on the block. Mm-hmm. He didn't go to the same school. And his brother had a had a hot rod Oldsmobile. <laughs> so, so we're still talking the fifties. Yeah, this yeah. was around fifty seven. Yeah, right. Hot rod and, Oldsmobile. And uh, I had to bring my mother home from the hospital. So we got to the hospital, got my mother, my my baby sister, we piled into this hot rod. And I'm seeing an Archie moment here. Yeah, <laughs> and he drove us home, you know, and we lived up two flights of steps. That was nothing for me then. Now if I have to go for a curb, I'm <laughs> So we, uh, you know, we came upstairs. And my father came home from work and said, what's for dinner? <laughs> well, we got this lovely little sister here. How about, you know? You, know, you want to see her, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Wow. Wow. It was, uh, he worked very hard. He used to have to be at work at 5 in the morning, sometimes even earlier during the Jewish holidays. Mm. Because people would come in there for fish for, yeah. for the holidays. And um, so uh, he would come home very late, make up orders. Take, and he was, uh, sometimes he'd have to deliver the, the orders. And, um, On foot, because you didn't have no, a car. No, no, well, we used to. One time, he had the truck from the store that he worked in right. to deliver the orders. And I guess I was off from school. It must have been a holiday. He took me with him. First of all, as we're driving, the muffler fell off someplace. <laughs> Tail, the tailpipe. And then, what was even worse was the door on the passenger side, we didn't have seatbelts, kept opening up. <laughs> And at one point, I fell out of the truck <laughs> on Keys Highway. Oh, jeez. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, you know, fortunately, he wasn't going that fast. Uh, for but folks he, not, not aware of either New York geography, or Kings Highway is not actually a highway. It's a main street, a main boulevard. Yeah, main so it's not like he was on the highway and he fell out. But still, still falling off, you know, falling right. out of a car. Yeah. Well, it was a truck. It was a, a, tr- it was a little high. Yes. Yeah. 
And I bounced and <laughs> it was okay. And he didn't stop. I ran and yeah. caught up, right? <laughs> well, he said, get back in and just closer to me so you don't fall out. Oh, man. Oh, that's good stuff. Good so stuff. Um, so you, 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 you grew up in this area. You, you went to the high school of industrial arts. Now, did you go to, to, to the high school of industrial arts because you were pursuing? Yeah, well, what happened was after junior high school, the next school that I was supposed to attend was Tilden. I know where that is. Yeah, yeah. That's also King's Highway. <laughs> Stay away from it. So I... But, so I went there for one term, but I want I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be in that school. And um, I don't know how we found out about it, but uh, the art teacher in junior high school had said that I should really, you know, pursue art because I was pretty good at it. Mm. So we found out about uh, the school industrial art, and he had to take an entrance exam. That's right. So um, I took it, and my friend Barry took it, and we both were accepted. So that's when we started. So I started, I actually started in the, uh, I guess it was sophomore year, not freshman. Right, right. So we started there, and I majored, eventually my major was cartooning. Remember your teacher? Mr. Allen. See, it's amazing how these things stick. Mr. Allen was my teacher. He's very good, very good teacher. And then the school at that time had a placement service. I don't know if you call it a service, but they placed students in jobs. And occasionally they would get calls from advertising agencies. And one day they get a call from Archie Comics. Now the person that was working at Archie Comics was a graduate of SIA. His name was Sheldon Brodsky. No relation to Saul Brodsky. In the cartooning class, they said, there's an opening at Archie Comics, and they're interviewing if anybody's interested in going for a job. You know, make an appointment, which I did. And a few people went up from the class. I got a phone call from Sheldon. said that I got the job. Excellent. I mean, I told him, like, boy, I really wanted to work there, you know. So... I said, I'd work for nothing. <laughs> I just about, that's about what I got. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, wait, now, had you, I mean, obviously you knew of Archie Comics. Had you been reading the comics? I used to read comics, but mostly mad comics and, and uh, EC comics. EC, yes, yeah. right, which is a different Tales, tone. Tales of the Crypt and all that. And I did read Archie Comics occasionally, but uh, mostly uh, those... Batman, Superman, not on a regular basis. Right. So, so how, what year was it that you went for this interview and got the job? It was in uh, 1958. 58? So Archie Comics at that point was about 19 years old because it, it started publishing in 1939, right? Yes. Yeah. MLJ. Right. But before I went for this interview, I had gone for an interview at Terrytons up here in New Rochelle. The, cartoon, the animators. The animators. Right. I had done a lot of animation work in school. In fact, I had gotten an honorable mention award for some of my work. Oh. I didn't get the award, but at least they gave me an honorable mention. And um, But they didn't really have anything. And at that, those years, working in animation, it was six months you'd work and six months you didn't. 
they could work six months and then have nothing to do for six months? Yeah. No job for six months? I guess so. Wow. But it was so laborious, that type of work then. Mm. Because everything was on a light table. Yeah. And you had to opaque the cells and all that. That's all done on computer now. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's, true. Uh, it's amazing. So you, you got the job at Archie, yes. and, and you're working under uh, Saul or, or with Saul? Or? No, it wasn't Saul. It was Sheldon. Sheldon, I'm sorry. Well, he was in charge of the production up there at that time. So they, And Richard Goldwater, that was John Goldwater's son, mm-hmm. was the managing editor then. He had only been in that job, I think, for about a year, maybe two at the most. I had one other thing that I... When I went, went to the job, I had already, you know, in those years you got drafted. Uh-huh, yeah, when 18, Korea, yeah. When you were 18, you were drafted. Now, this was after Korea. Oh, really? Yeah, sure. 1958. Korea was 1950. My bad. <laughs> okay, we'll cut that one out, too. Right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I didn't want to go into the Army. And a lot of guys at the school had signed up in the Naval Reserve. Mm. So I figured I would do that. So I had also signed up in the Navy, and I was going to have to go with the fleet for about two years at some point. It's a six-year obligation altogether. Jeez. Four years reserve, and two years with the fleet. But I told them that at, uh, at Archie, when I went there, that I would have to, uh, and I would also have to go to boot camp one summer. But that was all at Floyd Bennett Field. Where was that? Blackbush Avenue, right near the Marine Parkway Bridge. In Brooklyn, okay. Right past Ben Nassix. That one doesn't ring a bell. Ben Nassix was a nightclub. Oh, okay. They used to have uh, Jewel Box Review, which was... Scantily clad dancing ladies, if I remember correctly. They were all men. Oh, see, I'm remembering a <laughs> different show. Dressed women. Oh, oh. No, no, kinky no. boots, way ahead of its time. Kinky boots ahead of... No, I didn't know about that. Yeah, okay. so I saw Tony Bennett there. Dressed up as a woman? No. <laughs> okay. No. <laughs> no, no, not Tony, no. <laughs> anyway, um, so that's where Floyd Bennett Field was, and um, which was a naval air station and a reserve station. Mm-hmm. So I went there for boot camp for it was about eight or nine weeks. And then I went back to work at Archie. I get a notice from the Naval Reserve that they were looking for what they call station keepers. In other words, you would be stationed at Floyd Bennett for your active duty, but you'd have to give them an extra year. So instead of two years, I'd have to give them three years. So I went to Richard and I told him this. I said, but if I work there, I'll be able to come up during the week, a couple of days, or if somebody takes vacation, I used to get 30 days leave. So I could fill in. And this way I could hopefully come back to work after I'm finished. And that's exactly what happened. So they worked with you, they, they helped you? you yeah, know, so yeah. I got off of active duty, I went back full time to Archie. But while I was in the service though, I was freelancing as well. As an illustrator? Coloring. Coloring, okay. I did mostly coloring. 
But you were you were living near home. You you could go and work at the base for a certain period of time. You could still do work for Archie. At night, I used to, right. I used to mail it to me. Right. And also, I wound up doing because I I had gotten a call from Dan DiCarlo, who was working for us. He was doing a, a newspaper strip called Willie Lumpkin with Stan Lee. I didn't know Stan was on that. Stan oh. Lee wrote it and he drew it, and they wanted me to color it. So I used to color the strip, you know, every uh, week, Sunday page. And I would mail it from the base post office. I used to have to mail it to the Chicago Tribune. And for that, I would get $5 a Sunday page for coloring. Now, a page is, is literally just a strip, right? No, this no? is a Sunday page that was a color. So what, how many panels? Oh, two, about eight, eight nine panels. panels. Right. And Stanley would send me a check. For five dollars, twenty bucks, four weeks. Ah, okay, good. Okay, when you were reminded, <laughs> when you were reminded of. Okay. Yeah, Dan would go over the thing with the coloring with me. He went over it so much with me, he could have colored it himself. <laughs> so, so you you came out of the service. And now we're talking nineteen sixty something. Sixty three. I got off of active duty. Okay, and you came back to the Archie offices. Right. Right, full-time? Yes. Right. And doing some freelance. Some freelance. And, and, and Sheldon was gone at that yes. point. Yes. So what did you come back to Archie as? Continue just as a colorist, or did you move no, up in no, the ranks? I was handling all the production in the art department, trafficking all the reports, putting the books together, you know, making corrections, typing up schedules, on the phone with the printer, with, with the color separator, mostly with the color separator. They used to make... Zinc plates. <laughs> wow. Don't even think about these things anymore. You know, wow. You uh, send the artwork and the color guides up to the and, the... and the artwork was 12 by 18 large pages, you know? So, so the standard I'm, I'm aware of is 11 by 17. So Much this smaller. was the, Yeah, this is 12 well, by 18. is an inch yeah, on yeah, both they, ends. Right. Yeah. It was a long process, but they used to turn out work very quickly. They would take the pages, they would photograph each page, and then strip them together in four-page flats. Mm -hmm. Then they would take those negatives and make positives, and they would make three overlays for each color, for representing each color. So it's like a transparent sheet, one color, another transparent sheet, a second color, and those colors, when they overlaid, created the, the final color, is that correct? That's correct. Okay. You only had three values then. You only had a you know, 50%, 25%, 50%, 90%. And the combination of this two, mm -hmm. three, would make up the colors. Very limited in your palette mm -hmm. for coloring. Uh -huh. Then they would photograph them through a screen, and they would make a plate, a zinc plate. So we're talking, in effect, like a, a thin metal plate. It was heavy. Well, I was thinking it was thin, but okay, it it's was heavy. thin, but it was, it was heavy. heavy, right? And, and zinc. Yeah, and 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 you said they would strip them together. So we're we talking like, like four, four, four pages. pages to a flat. Right, and each one is twelve by eighteen. So you got no, four no, together. They're not twelve by eighteen anymore. They reduce them down to the comic book size. Oh, okay. So when they the, photograph. Them. That's okay. So that's a little bit better. Yeah, when they photograph them, they reduce them down to the to the comic book side, so we couldn't work on the pages that side. Right. And then the zinc plates would be railway or air express to the printer, 
in Sparta, Illinois. Oh, okay. When they would open the crates, they would take those zinc plates and make rubber mats out of them. Like stamp? Like a rubber stamp? Something like that, yeah. Because they need couldn't put the zinc on the presses. They had to be roll on rollers. That's true. That's true. So they make these mat plates, each color, and print the books. They would, that's when I was on the phone a lot, going over corrections. And the guy who ran the plant out there in Connecticut was all. I give him a correction, in particular on a cover, because they used to sell send us color proofs of the covers, mm -hmm. paper, like glossy proofs. He used to say, "How could you see that correction? What are you putting out here? Playboy magazine?" <laughs> So, so he was questioning your push for a certain level of quality. Yeah. yeah. And then, and I was always on the phone with them. You know, always calling in corrections for one thing or another. The phone in the art department was in direct line with John L. Goldwater's desk in the front office. And John is, is again, the founder we're talking about? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Creator of Archie. Right. So it's MLJ, and John is the J. Right. Maurice was the other, was the other letter. Okay. He was... Uh, partner. Uh, he was in the accounting. He took care of the accounting and bookkeeping. Uh -huh. <clears throat> but anyway, so he was, and he says to Richard one day, what, is, what does that guy do all day? He's always on the phone. <laughs> so I had to explain, you know, to Richard what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Did, so, Richard so, was buying all of the script. He was the uh, editor, managing editor. So Richard would, would Solicit the, the the work from the writers, pretty much. Right, yeah. and and they would and, send the script like from Frank Doyle. Mm -hmm. Frank Doyle used to send in a script every day. That's how he was. He send in a script practically every day, and on the weekend, after the weekend, he'd receive a, an envelope with two scripts in it for a two part story. How like, many pages are we talking about per script? I mean, well, it's five six page scripts. Mm -hmm. But um, he was he was a tremendous writer. I just finished writing a uh, again another uh, kind of a little bio for the seventy fifth anniversary book, which hopefully will be ready by the eightieth anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, so uh, it was a very long process, you know. So, uh, well, so if if he was in charge of the scripts, who was in charge of the art? I mean, I know you did production work. Yeah, well, I was pretty much in charge of the art. You know, you know, I would see the art come in in all different stages. You know, and I would assign it to the different inkers or letterers. So and that was had, your gig. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but they, we had artists like the one of the inkers who worked for us. Her name was Terry Zanix. She and her husband did work for us. She did a lot of lettering. I think he. Did. She did inking out lettering, and he did inking. And um, she would come up every week to pick up her work. She always come up dressed in a suit, hat. You know, in those days, in the fifties, I used to go to work with a shirt and tie every day. No pants. No pants. Just, no pants. Just a shirt and tie. <laughs> shirt and tie. Shirt and tie. Jacket. People dressed when they came to work. Yeah. Different. Different attitude. Different lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at that time, I was when I was married, living in Sheepshead Bay now, in, 
commuting on the subway again. I was always on the subway. <laughs> Good reading time. <laughs> yeah, I did. I used to. I did. I used to read a lot on the subway. Um, so, so but, t- tell me a little bit. I mean, what was the? I mean, because you know, Archie has been known, certainly in that in that era, but certainly since too. Um, it's known for you know that sort of iconic. Uh, idyllic Americana feel, wholesome, fun kind of stories. What was the, what was the what was the atmosphere like? I mean, here you were because I mean, the, just what was the atmosphere like creating that kind of material? You weren't doing the Batman kind of things. You weren't doing, you know, Captain America. You weren't doing. I'll something tell you, all these guys, the artists, the writers, they were hysterical. They were funny. They wrote funny stories. They drew funny artwork. When you're doing a comic book, you're in the entertainment business. Mm. That book is there to entertain the reader. You know, so, and they knew how to do it. Doyle was, like I said, his timing, his pacing of a story was incredible. I mean, it was just tremendous. Uh, same thing with uh, the artist. You look at an artist like Sam Schwartz. He, he, he used to read the story. Well, first of all, he would take stories, especially from George Gladder. Okay. George Gladder, was, well, he was living in the city, then he moved to California. He's still writing for you, right? Is George? He's gone. He's gone, okay. Unfortunately. But he was, a ter- he was really good at what he did. And in those years, everything would start in California. Trends and fashions and things. And by the time, and he would send us stuff with reference. He was always good on reference. He cut out an article. He cut out reference from a magazine or a newspaper to, to show the artist what it looked like. Because it wasn't here yet. The, the clothing style, the clothing or, whatever style it is, yeah. or whatever it was. Or hula hoop or anything. You know, whatever right. it was. And um, it, it, it was great. I mean, he was said his thing. George, this is impossible. Who, who wears something like this? <laughs> and he, because he had a cover one, a cover idea of Betty and Veronica walking down the street in these, they were vinyl, clear raincoats. I remember that cover. And they were bikinis underneath. I remember that cover, yeah. And it says, it's all the rage out in California. <laughs> So uh, and so he always wrote, but but Sam was a frustrated writer and editor, and um, he was always changing the stories around. It used to drive Gladder insane. Mm. They were like mortal enemies. <laughs> it's a good thing they were three thousand miles away from each other. Anyway, but Sam used to do some funny things with his stories. You know, he he would do funny things in the background. I remember a story where Archie and Jughead are in an Army and Navy surplus store. I don't know if you remember those surplus stores. Yeah. They used to have old yeah. Army canteens. That's and, right. Pea coats, pea jackets, and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. Army jackets, all yeah. So they're looking at some stuff, and in the background, a guy is driving out with, in a tank. <laughs> Somebody else is walking around with a bazooka. You know, things like that. It was funny. You know, he was just very funny. The guys would get together. He'd talk about these things. He'd 
talk about the stories, talk about the characters. And uh, they were up in the office a lot. Sam Schwartz was up every day, practically, because we had a studio mm -hmm. for him and Bob White, who was another good artist. And we had a warehouse across the street from on Church Street. That's what I'm talking about now. Church. So where was the office at that point? 241 Church Street. Church in between Worth and Leonard Street. So that's Manhattan. Lower, it was Manhattan. It's lower Manhattan. Lower Manhattan. Yeah, right. Lower Manhattan. Anyway, so there was a warehouse with storage over there for those books. And part of that warehouse was sectioned off as a little art department. Well, a studio. Mm-hmm. For two artists. And Sam and Bob used to come in every day and work there. And if we needed something in a hurry, run across the street, they do it for us. What what year are we into at this point? <clears throat> now we're into uh, we're near a couple of years, so now it's maybe the early sixties. Okay. Early sixties. And uh, so, so you were you were saying one of the things that you said that caught my attention was that uh, the guys would come into the yeah, office. Yeah, let's, let's get back to yeah. that because uh, you know they they would just sit around and talk. Sam would complain about the story. How could you have a story with, where Junkhead is doing this? He doesn't do that. He doesn't think like that. Why is he doing this? Well, who is this girl that you brought in here? You know, he would always think about something. So the characters were important to him and the continuity yeah. of those characters. He did Junkhead for many years. That was his book, the one that he worked on. You know, Junkhead, everybody thinks of Junkhead. They think of Junkhead as a... Uh, just eating and sleeping, you know, hamburger person, but he's not. He's, he's not wimpy, he's, but then, he's, he's, yeah. His personality is more than just thinking about eating and sleeping. Yeah, yeah I agree. Uh, I mean, he's a, he's a very uh, clever character. You read some of the stories that were written where he and Reggie go at it. You know, Jughead always comes out the winner in the end. He's always a little more one step mm -hmm. A little bit more clever than Reggie is, you know. Yeah, I had I had fun every time I I worked on a Jughead story, writing it. I, I've had a good time, and I mean that's why I saw him as, you know, as a noir detective because you know he's, yeah. he's observant. He's not unconscious he's, of things, you know. Right, right. He sees what's going and on. He, he just chooses what he wants to do and won't do. You exactly, know? and he, he walks to the beat of a different drum. He doesn't go along with all of the mm -hmm. things that. Kids go along with all the time. He's not. He's not fat slave. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, and, uh, he was Archie's conscience, like mm -hmm. Jiminy Cricket was to Pinocchio. <laughs> it's a good analogy. Yeah. You know, so, um, so, so character continuity was important. Very. They were always talking about the characters. Always talking about talking about the characters. Like I'm talking about my friends or my. Mm -hmm. It was like they were living beings. You know? yeah, yeah. So you guys didn't have this attitude like, oh, we're knocking out this kitty thing, so you know we can we can sort of like just roll through it. We don't have to really work on it that hard. We're just it's just no, fluff. No, or, no, no. They 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 put a lot of uh, thought into what they did, and you know it's uh, it's it's the writing and the artwork that that's kept Archie really on top. of People who create the stories, mm -hmm. create that whole, keep that atmosphere. But you have to change. You know, we're in the 21st century, you know, things have to change, you have to be more contemporary. So, we are. 
So you can see what we're doing now. So since you segued so nicely like that, thank yeah. you. Yeah, okay. So you've been with the company how many years? 57. It'll be 58 in October. 58 years come October 2015. <clears throat> and you just said things have to change. So from the point in the 50s when you joined the company till now, society has gone through a number of shifts. Yeah. How, yeah. how was that? As a, you know, I mean, because you're a creative person, too. You know, I've known you as an editor. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you're a creative person, too. So how was that for you and, and, and the company? Uh, what was your take on that as, as you know, society sort of dictated that, okay, now we got to do this a little differently than, than we used to? Well, uh, we're talking about a point when I was given the job, handed over the job as managing editor, when Richard and Michael took over the company and the fathers retired. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I really thought we needed to come up with some changes. So when was this? Early 80s. Okay, okay. I mean, we had done some, some things earlier than that. Listen, we, we tackled uh, the drafting, the draft in one of our stories, and in Everything's Archie, uh, where Archie gets drafted. It was sort really? of like a fantasy story, but because they really aren't, weren't ready to be drafted yet, but it was addressed. Uh, Vietnam was addressed. There was a soldier that came into Riverdale who uh, wasn't from Riverdale. He was a Vietnam veteran, and people were kind of ignoring him. And Archie... Really? When, when was... I mean, uh, this is the first yeah. I'm, I'm aware yeah, of this. We, yeah, we've done story. We did a story called The Deadly Game about drugs, where Archie and Chuck could get arrested. For possession of drugs. Jeez. Oh, oh God! But okay. uh, they were, they didn't know what they had. I mean, they found these packages and they thought it was this. Police thought. Well, that's another old story. I'll show you copies of it one day. Please, <laughs> yeah. But, but those but aren't really. Those are stories that are addressing certain problems, social problems, and. We've done that over the years with bullying and some other things, you know. But um, I have to get back to you're in the entertainment business. You, you know, you want to entertain your reader, and so um, you can still make changes. Fashion, music, TV. What are the kids interested in nowadays? So. Um, but on the other hand, you know, it's, it's a publishing company. You have to start, this is, publishing is your bread and butter. You have to move into other areas. You have to do other things. Take some chances. It's a business. It's a business. Yeah. You have to take some chances, you know. Uh, uh, and sometimes you're going to do things that people aren't going to like, and some people are going to like. I mean, uh, the married life... That was a 2010, Archie marries Betty, Archie marries Veronica. Yeah, well, that started actually back in 2008 when Mike Eustorn sends me an email and wants to meet me for lunch. He's got this great idea. So I said, well, uh, but he didn't want to tell me what it was. <laughs> so I said, okay, uh, I'll meet you for lunch, and if uh, nothing else, at least we'll get together for lunch. Now, Michael Luslin, just to, to fill that in, uh, was at that time or was soon to become uh, one of the executive producers of the Batman he films? He had already done that, I think. Okay, so that's the one with, with Christian Bale. Yeah, just uh, trust me on that one. Yeah. I, I believe. I mean, I have all those Batmans at home. Yeah. 
So, uh, so he, he contacted So he contacted me because I've known him for, well, he did a book for us. Many, when we were still on, when we were on First Avenue, he and a fellow by the name of Jeff Mendel, they did a book, The Best of Archie, by, published by Perigee Press. And um, they spent a lot of time with me, you know, gathering material. So, so Michael presented this concept to you uh, during Michael, that time? No, no this Michael, was, okay. this was, Michael presented me, we were already up in the Marinette. Right. Uh, so 2008, I think you said. 2008, yeah. So he I met him in the city, we went for lunch, and what's the idea? He says, Archie gets married. So, <laughs> I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking, I don't know, Archie gets married, how are we going to, you know, didn't, right. didn't do anything for me yet. But then I'm thinking, he's got to make a choice. Now, we did have, a, have him make a choice a couple of years earlier, where we had this love showdown. I remember that, yeah. And the love showdown, Archie finally was going to make a choice between Betty and Veronica. And we wound up choosing Cheryl Blossom at the end or something. I don't know. But, you know, we thought we'd get a lot of publicity out of that. Michael was saying, with this, you're going to really get some publicity. So I thought about it, and I said, okay, let me just run it by Richard and Michael, who really didn't want to go for anything most of the time. Oh, wow. Okay. Right? A little bit of a challenge. It was always a challenge. I mean, anyway, they did kind of went along with it, because Mike Uslan, you know, has a lot more credibility. He has some juice, yeah, the phrase goes, yeah. So we go ahead and, uh, and did the story, and let me tell you something, we got a lot of publicity. Sure did. The first thing we had to decide was who to marry first. And it was a hands down for Veronica, because nobody wanted to see Veronica get married. So that was an editorial. That was an editorial choice. You knew that was going to lit fires. Yes. Yes. Okay. And it did. It made front page news in India. <laughs> oh, geez. I'd love to see that. Oh my goodness, I'd love. I'll to show it to you. I have it here. Oh, okay, show it to me later. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then it, it really took off. That whole marriage thing took mm -hmm. off. So we did uh, six issues, and then we did a little epilogue in a seventh issue. But just a twelve-page story. But um, then the married life turned into even more. We took it one step further, continued it. Is um, that with the life with Archie? With uh, life with Archie. Yeah, right. So I just continued the story. And what it really wasn't continued. We we picked it up from seeing the six issues that we did of uh, Archie getting married and Betty getting married. They each had children at the end of each story. Mm -hmm. But here we picked it up before that. Right. We have them now living as adults. They get married. They're living in adults with adult responsibilities, adult problems. Mm -hmm. And so Archie's married to Veronica, rich Veronica. But does she have... Does, Money by happiness. Mm -hmm. Mr. Lodge gives him a job, and it turns out that Veronica is her husband's boss. Yeah, yeah. No, you, you, you and, and Paul Kupperberg was the writer Paul on that. Well, yeah, but 
Michael Buslot did the first issue okay. of Life of Archie, and then Paul Kupperberg. And you have to give Paul Kupperberg a pat on the back because he did a tremendous oh, job. Yeah. yeah, no doubt. You know, tremendous doubt. job on that. And, uh, so, so you you let Mike run with this. It became the you know it was successful, and then uh, you successful. went from that into Life with Archie. So, how long did Life with Archie run? Well, it ran for the thirty-seven issues. You know, I ran for a long time. I ran for about four years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and now you've also got. Uh, well, we had some other highlights in that life of Archie, because first of all, we had introduced a gay character. Which Kevin Keller. Kevin Keller. Right. Now he was an adult. Mm-hmm. In the life of Archie, he he gets married. We had a marriage issue. Mm-hmm. Which million moms boycotted <laughs> at Walmart or wherever it was. And Walmart said, well, don't buy the book. And, they, and we sold out. We sold out that issue. Um, then we had the finale where we killed Archie. Mm -hmm. He goes to save Kevin Keller, who's become a senator. And there's somebody in this party at uh, Jughead's Chocolate Shop mm -hmm. who goes to assassinate Senator Kevin and Archie takes the bullet for him. Yeah, it, it, did you get any kind of uh, praise or flack on, on that action? Well, a couple of my friends said, What are you going to do now without a job? <laughs> like the whole universe had come to a close in that Archie's one. Archie's dead. Yeah. What are you going to do? You have no job now. So I said, Well, he's not really dead. And I'll tell you something. I just finished writing something on this. Uh, yes, it was a sad ending, but Archie lives on in our comics, digests, graphic novels, digitally, and soon on TV and in the movies. Don't be sad. The Archie that you know and love here for years to come. So, so. you know, it's, it's funny, too, because how people can identify with a, uh, a fictional character so strongly... You know, there was the death of Superman. He got better. You know, uh, Batman's died twice. He, he, he got better. You know, so here was Archie, and, and you did it. And the way I explain it is there are three Archie universes. There's, yeah. there's a classic Archie universe, which everybody is very familiar with. There's the life with Archie universe, and then there's the afterlife with Archie universe. And it just depends on where your taste rolls, you know, as to which one you are spending more time with. That's, at least that's the way I see it. Well, you know, once we started this life with Archie, we had a lot of readers that came back, adults. Mm -hmm. They wanted to see what Archie was all about with the, with the marriage thing. So right. they kept reading it. So we actually got back more readers who were Archie readers to begin with. Let, let, me, let me do this, because I know I've, I've had you here for a long time, and, and I've really just... I mean, we could continue talking as I like that, but uh, I'm just going to ask you, in terms of where comics are now, creatively, editorially, and where they were when you first entered the industry, what is your, your, your opinion of how things have flowed? I don't want to say, do you think this is good or bad? I just want to know, what's your opinion overall, you know? Well, I think most of the comic book companies are trying to do comic books to feed the movie industry and the television. You know, they're putting out comic books. 
and uh, the money isn't in the comic books. The money is in Hollywood. So you feel like they're they're publishing basically um, a proposal for a film or something like that, something to get that yeah. deal. Do you feel the stories or characters have, have, have changed or suffer or is it still pretty much an entertainment medium and this is just a new form well, of all it? All I can tell you is if we do it with Archie, the first thing that John Goldwater tells them is that they have to maintain the integrity of the characters. So we're not going to do anything with Archie that's going to be Gratuitous. Archie's going to be Archie. He'll be Archie in the 21st century mm -hmm. with a new hairdo and fashion. Maybe he'll talk a little bit different. Maybe push the envelope a little bit mm -hmm. in certain cases. And, and creatively, how do you feel about pushing the envelope? Well, you know, it's something that uh, yeah, you have to. I think so, anyway, because let's face it. Talk about primetime TV, but they have it on primetime TV, <laughs> and they tell you it's good. Primetime is okay for your kids to watch. Some of it, they get it. I mean, they're looking at it, they're seeing it, and uh, eventually they understand it. So, so this is just another step forward, you know, where we're going, and, and it's a matter yeah, of keeping, I mean, keeping track listen, with we, it. We, we would love to have Archie on television. You know, and mm -hmm. uh, I think it's going to happen. love to have an Archie Broadway show. That would be fun, an Archie musical. Yeah. 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 It's going to happen. What do, you, what do you see ahead for you? More work. <laughs> do you want to you give... Um, any kind of insight uh, to potential or up-and-coming up writers and artists in terms of either this business or the business well, of the creative art? Yeah. Well, a lot of the... At one time, I knew just about everybody in the business. But you know, the, all new writers now, we have a lot of new writers working on our new projects, mm -hmm. like the Dark Circle books, mm -hmm. and even some of the Archie books. So um, I haven't found a writer yet who's anything like Frank Doyle. <laughs> but um, the young writers, some of the artists that we have are really very good. Mm -hmm. But then no Dan DiCarlo. Mm. I mean, but then again, we're changing Archie's look in the Archie book. And what Fiona is doing is she's an excellent artist. So we'll see where things are going. We'll say, see where things are going. But you're still going to see the Archie characters in our digest books. And we're doing some of the stories for those mm -hmm. digests. Uh, Fernando and Dan Parent are doing a, doing a lot of things. They're old-timers now at this point. Yeah, 18 years, I think, for Dan. I forget how many for, for Fernando, because Dan and I did a panel together, and I remember him mentioning that. Yeah, well, Fernando got the same. Yeah. So, so for you, artists, whether they're writers or not, it's, it's about the quality of their work, their, their style? It's, it's, the, it's the quality of their work, the way they handle the characters. Once again, I go back to keeping the integrity of the characters and understanding the characters. I mean, 
like I said about Jughead, just more than eating and sleeping. You know, Archie is always going to be Archie. He's going to be a klutzy guy. You know, he's going to, you know, uh, get himself into tight situations, and Jughead's going to give his opinion. So that consistency will be there even as they are maybe, a- adapted. Yeah, maybe even more so. Yeah. Maybe even, you know, really hone in on it. I know what we're doing with Betty. Betty's being a little bit more tomboyish now than she's been, mm-hmm. which is good. That's the way she was supposed to be. Veronica hasn't even been introduced yet into the new Archie. Wow. I, I, I just saw a Digest story where, and I forget who the writer was, I wanted to, you know, was excited. He took a lot of the new characters that you have and he utilized them in this one particular story and it was very organic. It was good to see supporting characters you know, you still saw the meet lead characters, but seeing supported characters treated as part of that overall family. So you've got you've got new looks and feels, but you've also got more diversity and yeah. and more better cultural representation in there as well. And I think that sort yeah, of a, really expands well, it. That's very important. That's extremely important. There's a lot more to look forward to, whatever the I, presentation. There is going to be a lot more to look forward to. Yes. As I said, Victor, I you know I could keep at this, but I've, I've kept you for an, over an hour and a half now, so I'm going to say thank you for this at this point. I would love to catch you at another time, because I know you've got a lot more to share. Yeah, but I could give you a few more stories, some of which I wouldn't put on the air. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are always the best ones, right? Yeah. But again, thank you so much. Um, you know, I think, to my knowledge, you are probably one of the few artists, editors who've been in the business that long in particular with one company. So I know that there's, you know, in my working with you, I've seen uh, the experience that you've had really feed into uh, maintaining quality. And also, you know, your, your interaction with artists and, and writers and so forth has always been very respectful, which I think is great because there's some people who are really very full of themselves. And, and it's nice to be able to actually talk to someone who, who treats people like human beings. So that's, that's appreciated. Thank you. Well, it's always a pleasure talking with you, Alex. Well, thank you, sir. You're one of my favorite people. Thank you. I, I'm kind of fond of you, too. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to say thank you, and, and maybe we'll do this again, but I, I really, really have enjoyed this. If you this. want to pick this up at some other time, we can do that, too. Excellent. Okay. Thank you very much, Victor. Greetings, and welcome to the 125th episode of Tell the Damn Story. Alex Simmons here. Um, we apologize, Chris and I, for the delay in uploading this episode. We missed it by a day. But that was because a friend and fellow professional in the comic book industry passed away a few days ago. And we wanted to take this episode as an opportunity to say goodbye to him and to offer a tribute, if you will, to a man who spent over 50 years in this industry, making it fun, entertaining, and an education for both professionals and fans alike. So, without further ado, as the phrase goes, here's episode 125, a tribute to Victor Gorlick. (laughs) 